Screen Time with John Fardy. This is News Talk. Hello and welcome to Screen Time. I'm John Fardy and this is News Talks TV and Movie Show. This week on the show, the great Emma Thompson and her Irish co-star Daryl McCormack chat to be about their new movie, Good Luck to You, Leo Grand. The great French director and indeed Artur Francois Ozon talks to me about his new movie, Everything Went Fine. Plus, our own Mark Ryle on the week's new releases. I'm open on Twitter, John underscore Fardy, or you can email me, screentime at newstalk.com. This show is available as a podcast every Friday at 5pm on newstalk.com or the Newstalk app powered by Go Loud. And it's on the radio every Saturday at 6pm right here on News Talk. A good weekend to you all. I hope life is treating you well. Feels to be a summary feel about life at the moment. Certainly if you have kids, they seem to be winding down in school and having dress-up days and we're booking summer camps and all that stuff and packing for future holidays in a few weeks. And nice, you know, I think maybe summer is, you know, it was deferred for the last few years. We're fully embracing it this year. Which is nice. Now, something that isn't nice is police corruption, uh, but it might make for good TV. Take a listen to this. You make this easy on me, I'm going to make this easy on you, all right? And me and my detectives, we are aware that there are narcotics and firearms on these premises. Can you tell me where they're at, sir? You got a warrant? <sighs> Come on, big dog. You know I'm going to keep it 100 with you. Now look, you help me out, I'm going to get you up out of this, all right? Do what you got to do, Wayne. Goodness. You're all stubborn, huh? God damn. It's going to be like that, huh? All right. I mean, I could just gut this place. I'm going to give you another shot, Mr. Conley. Why don't you tell me where the work's at, sir? Last chance. Ain't gonna be a car wash when I'm done with it. I'll tell you that right now. Oops. Now that is a clip of We Own This City. That's the great American actor John Bernthal, who was on this show actually for the movie King Richard. He was in The Many Saints of Newark. A lot of people know him from The Punisher. He is a great actor. Now, you may have heard about this. It's on Sky. I'm not sure which channel. Sky? I get confused, but it's on the Sky package. You can download it all. It's out there. All six parts of it. Now, this, as you may be aware, it's Sky Atlantic. Sorry, I was getting confused there. Now, this is from the creators of The Wire, the great David Simon and his honcho, George Palakanakos. And they made The Wire, which I think most people know. Most people know who listen to this show and most people in the world know that, you know, The Wire is epic TV, all about the city of Baltimore. It was kind of like a novel on TV. And what's funny, um, you know, we can't get into The Wire now because, you know, there are literally college courses on it. But If you know The Wire, what might surprise you about We Own This City is that it's quite similar in a lot of ways. Now, to me, that's fine. But what we have here, much like The Wire, is we're back in Baltimore. This is based on a true story about a very corrupt gang of police in the Baltimore Police Department. They were the Gun Trace Task Force. And John Bernthal, who you heard there, is one of them. And this is based on a book. And it is a six-parter. So even though it's dense, 
it is only six parts, whereas The Wire was five series and was novelesque. That said, this is quite novelesque, even for its six parts, because there was a lot going on. You have this gun trace task force, and yet, like The Wire, you have all these other elements. You have different investigators. You have people in the criminal justice system. You have criminals. You have drug dealers. But at its heart, and I suppose what makes it somewhat different to The Wire, this is very much about corrupt police, whereas it was more nuanced in The Wire. This is a bad bunch of cops uh, doing things they shouldn't do. I've watched about half of this. It's really good. It is a lot like The Wire in that it's not easy. You gotta pay a lot of attention because there are so many different strands to it. Now they start to come together and coalesce and a lot like the wire again, you realize that a lot of the elements you're looking at are connected. The good guys and the bad guys and the people in the middle are all connected, particularly to a type of drug deal that's happening. At one point I had to rewind it just to and I was paying close attention, but it it, it demands attention. But I think that is a good sign uh, of good TV when you have to pay close attention because the juice is worth the squeeze. Halfway through I'm wrapped by this and I can't wait to watch the rest of it. So that's We Own This City, now on Sky Atlantic and now all available as a box set on a Sky package to watch, which I would recommend highly that you do. And John Bernthal, again, is brilliant. John Bernthal is on his way to becoming the next Robert De Niro in that he can do so many things. He brings a menace. He can bring a charm. He brings sympathy. He's great. He really is. And, and you should listen back to the interview I did with him because he's a fascinating guy. He's he's a proponent of pit bulls and thinks they get a really hard time and feels that he was like a pit bull in his life. He's a really interesting guy. Anyway, check out We Own This City if you don't have time to check out my interview with John Burenthal. Now, really quickly in TV, I just want to quickly mention, I, I said to you regularly, I'm on the Pat Kenny Show doing a series, Boxed, encouraging you to look back at streamable TV. And this week we talked about It's a Sin which is available on all four, the Channel 4 streamer. And it's their most streamed show in its history, if I'm not mistaken. And in case you don't know about It's a Sin, it's five or six parts all about the AIDS virus in the 80s, written by Russell T. Davis, who gave us Queer as Folk 20-odd years ago. This is a dark show, but one also full of joy. It's about five young gay people coming together, well, four gay young men, and also a, a friend of theirs living in a place in London that they call the Pink Palace in a house together. And it's all about them exploring their sexuality, their young lives, their college, their careers, their socializing. And all the while, the AIDS epidemic is slowly gathering a pace and it's whispered about almost in pub corners and it slowly comes to roost and the show reaches its zenith kind of in Thatcher's Britain when AIDS is unfortunately running wild and there is moral panic. This show is an incredible show. We talked about it on this show 18 months ago, but just to remind you, It's a Sin is a brilliant piece of TV that I was re-watching aspects of this week. So another quick recommendation for you there. If you want to get in touch with me about anything, do so. Email me, screentime at newstalk.com, or you can tweet me, John underscore Fardy. Now take a listen to this. And if younger ears are listening, you might want to cover them for this. 
So I've made a list of things that I'd like to get through. Oh, that sounds sexy. Don't mock me. I'm a teacher. Old habits die hard. What's first on the list? <clears throat> Number one, uh, I perform oral sex on you. Number two, you perform oral sex on me. Number three, we do a 69, if that's what it's still called. Uh, I don't know. Um, four, me on top. Five, doggy style. Well, that all sounds very achievable. Oh, does it? Oh, good. Good, because I, I, I have no frame of reference. I've tried um, looking on the internet, but it's alarming, frankly. I mean, if you type in classy porn to Google, up pop 12 windows of erections. I mean, there's no build-up at all. Have I booked enough time? Now, that is a clip of Good Luck to You, Leo Grand, which you may have heard about already. The great Emma Thompson, who you heard there, uh, reading out her list of what she would like to have happen. She plays a school teacher called Nancy Stokes, a retired school teacher who's a widower as of two years ago when this takes place. And she realizes that she hasn't had the sex life she wanted. Maybe not the life she wanted, but in particular, the sex life she wanted. So she decides to visit a sex worker, played by the Irish actor Daryl McCormack, who's been in things like, well, he started in Fair City, but he was in Peaky Blinders. Great young actor. And he plays the sex worker, Leo Grand. And they meet in this hotel room. And I won't say how much or how little sex happens, but a lot more happens besides, a lot of conversation as well. And it devolves into a lot more than just a story about a woman having sex or wanting to have sex. It, it goes in a lot of places and goes to where this guy, Leo Grant, may be coming from. And it's a really good movie. Now, it stars Emma Thompson and Daryl McCormick, who I got to talk to about this movie. I mentioned what Daryl McCormick had been in. I don't think Emma Thompson needs any introduction whatsoever. So here's my chat with Emma Thompson and Daryl McCormick. Hello. Hello. John Fardy from News Talk Radio in Ireland. It's delightful to see the both of you. Thank you very Thank much. You. We're having Everyone's from Ireland this morning. We're having such a nice time. Hey, we're the country that keeps on giving. You are. You're uh, right. I, 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 <laughs> guy right beside you, you know, if there's not a terrible pun there. Listen, Emma, a thing I really like about the movie, and I was thinking about it, was that it's graphic about sex. Like at one point you're reading out a list of what you want to happen that includes fellatio, cunnilingus, yada, yada, yada. But yet it's not sexually graphic, really. We've seen a lot more graphic things on screen than this. And there's, there's actually very little nudity. Was that kind of part of the attraction of the script for you? What, that it wasn't graphic? Yeah, but yet it dealt with sex really head on. But yet it wasn't, you know, completely yes, pornographic. Yes, absolutely. I, I think it would have been very, I wouldn't have wanted to do it if it had been like Last Tango in Norwich. Mm. I, I think that would have been no fun at all. Um, I mean, you, you could, of course, there are films that deal with sex in that way, but um, this is not that at all. Um, it's about pleasure, really. Mm. It's about pleasure and it's about intimacy and it's about the very complicated relationship that we have with our bodies. So it's about very everyday things. Mm. Um, there's the, there's nothing graphic about it, but there's something very profound and it goes very deep, I think, into, mm. into all of those things without 
feeling heavy. Mm. That's mm. what Katie yeah. managed with her script and Sophie did so brilliantly with her direction. It's just, it's very light on its feet and it's very funny and warming and parts of it are comforting and parts of it are then challenging, but then you get a laugh again. So mm. you never, it's never in your face, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's a very good point to make because you don't want people to think, God, I, I can't face going to see people. Mm. You know, Bumping. like humping up yeah. against. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's well, not what it is. No, this is not a home fest. And Daryl, it is funny, and I'm just thinking almost of you know the elevator pitch. You're going to play a sex worker who's possibly going to give a character played by Emma Thompson her first orgasm. Now I'm sure it wasn't pitched to you that way, but did you get the script and go, "This is this is remarkable stuff"? I didn't think this was going to come my way. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you're so right. I mean, obviously, it it being primarily a two-hander I think I'm at a point in my career where I didn't really even anticipate someone would you know be looking at me to hold such a film alongside someone like Emma so that was definitely a surprise um, and then I think I was just fortunate enough to really fall in love with the story as well and who Leo was that mm. I was like oh I could I mean when when you read a script that you're like wow not alone am I excited to see this film made, but like mm-hmm. if I get a chance to be involved in it, that's just a double blessing. So I I just was really excited to try and figure out who this young man was. Um, and that kept me anchored moving forward because it is, you know, it is starting off. It's very daunting to try and see a big, the whole, the whole picture and be like, can I hold a 200 film with someone like Emma? You just have to go day by day and scene by scene. Um, and I was able to do that, fortunately enough. You certainly were. And, you know, we, we were talking about the graphic nature of it, but and it's not graphic, you know, what we see on screen, but there is uh, nudity and there's a very pertinent nude scene towards the end, Emma. And, you know, on a talk show, I heard you previously talking about walking at your home in Scotland and police coming and asking, was there some man on your land? And you were very funny about it. And you referenced parts of your bodies resembling testicles, which I thought was very funny. Now, I know that's in the confines of a chat show, but to my knowledge, you'd never gone this naked before. Was it very important for you to be out there in that particular scene? Um, It's not... It's... I have gone naked before. I, I did a three-day sex scene with Jeff Goldblum in The Tall Guy. Oh, and yes. About an, act, uh, an artist called Dora Carrington, um, where there was also nudity. Um, I, I, I think that um, the film earns its, that mo- these moments so, so fully. Mm. It, it, like you said, it's not graphic, and it's so, it, it is so earned. Mm. And so it didn't feel like... Mm. oh it it didn't feel to me like Mm -hmm. oh and then there's that which is separate to the event you know it's at the end of a very long conversation between absolutely also a long conversation between that character and the audience you know Mm. we've been with her through this journey and then suddenly she's she's just looking at the vehicle this thing that we're born in um without judgment but without looking at it in any particular way i mean i went to the medieval artist Cranach. i looked at all the medieval pictures of eve looking at herself not looking at herself but looking out at us and because i thought well you know in our christian traditions eve is the innocent and before she's you know, does the bad thing with the apple, because of course, anyway, let's not go into that. But 
the pictures of her just standing there with one crook, leg crooked and just mm. looking very sort of relaxed. That's what I was after, because in a way, Nancy's kind of returned to herself. Mm. And there's something extraordinarily innocent about it and very beautiful and relaxed and calm. And I don't think that we often get that for ourselves Absolutely. and particularly Absolutely. women. Yeah. Here, here. Well, you're both wonderful in the movie and, and it was delightful. And if it helps, I don't know why I should even be saying this, but I watched it with my wife and she absolutely adored it and said we need more movies like this. So that's high praise, I would suggest. So lovely to talk to you both. Thank lovely you. to you talk too. to you. you Thank Cheers. you very much. Have a lovely Bye. day. Emma Thompson and Daryl McCormick there talking to me about the new movie, which I should say is on January release from this Friday, the 17th of June. Good luck to you, Leo Grand. And I know sometimes I'd say, oh, my wife watched it with me as well. It's almost like I don't trust my own abilities. I wanted to point out to these people. Someone else watched it with me and enjoyed it. And my wife really did. And you will enjoy it too, I think. Mark Royal is going to be giving us his take on it as well. And as I say, it's in cinemas from this Friday. Up next, the great French director, Francois Ozon. Now you're welcome back to Screen Time, News Talks TV and Movie Show. I'm John Fardy. Now also opening this weekend and also for available for digital download on Curzon Home Cinema is Everything Went Fine. And it tells the story of Andre, who suffers a debilitating stroke. And once this happens, he asks his daughter, Emmanuelle, played by Sophie Marcoux, she of James Bond fame and lots of other things, to help end his life. She gradually comes to accept his request, but the impact on her life and loved one brings out all the heartbreak and resentment in a family where Andre has never been the most loving or certainly lovable father. It's a poignant reflection on a lifetime filled with tension, laughter, guilt, and I suppose a lot of love as well. Now, it's directed by the great French director, Francois Ozon. It also has Charlotte Rampling in it as well. It's based on a memoir by Ozon's writing partner, Emmanuel Bernheim. Uh, the film launched in the Cannes Film Festival and features outstanding performances, as I say, from Sophie Marcoux and uh, Charlotte Rampling, amongst others. Now, it was directed by Francois Ozon. Now, if you don't know Francois Ozon, he's maybe the best known or one of the most successful French filmmakers working today. He's done everything from the well-received movie Swimming Pool to Eight Women by the Grace of God, a great movie about 20 years ago, Five by Two. He's done every kind of movie. He's, he tends to be quite, I suppose, liberal in his approach. There's all sorts of themes in them, death, sex, gender, everything. He's a meat and potatoes filmmaker, sometimes very controversial. Anyway, I got to talk to him, which I was delighted about because he has done a serious amount of stuff. And we spoke about his new film, Everything Went Fine, and a bit more besides. I just wonder why at this time in your career, did you want to make a movie about, in essence, euthanasia? Uh, it was not my idea to make a film about euthanasia. <laughs> uh, actually, the subject didn't interest me so much because I'm not confronted of, to that yet. <laughs> I, hope I, will maybe, I, I hope I will never be confronted to, to that. <laughs> no, the idea was uh, for me to, to pay a tribute to someone I really loved, who was Emmanuel Bernheim. Yes. Who was my uh, script writer. We worked together and she, 
she she published this book about the death of her father and um, and what interested me in the book was her relationship with her father it was mm -hmm. really uh, the idea to try to understand the complexity of the feelings you can have uh, for your father as a daughter yeah sure and, and, and as men as well we can have them for our fathers as i well know and and it is very much a, a family drama and and the psychodynamics of that but just to go back to euthanasia it does make i think powerful points about the right to die like i mean you're you're aware of that though i mean it was quite it was a punch in the stomach at times, some of the things Andre's character said about his own life and stuff. So, I mean, there is definitely euthanasia in this, even though it wasn't your intention to make a movie about it. Yes, of course. But I didn't have a real opinion before starting the film mm -hmm. because... Um, because I, uh, my parents didn't ask me such a thing. So, so it's difficult to have a clear opinion. Mm -hmm. But after making the movie, I think I have now a real opinion about it. And can I ask what that real opinion is? I think it's not up to the children to organize uh, the end of their parents, you know, mm. to the society, to the doctors, to, to help people who want to, to die in, uh, in uh, dignity. Uh, and uh, and people don't have to survive if they don't want. If they have the freedom, they, they should have the freedom uh, to make their own choice. You know, you talk about a family drama. What I found really, I suppose, intriguing about it is Andre at times is is horrible to his yes. children <laughs> and the people around him. Uh, and you know, you've you've done all sorts of movies with, with different types of characters, nice people, bad people, but he's a particularly horrid father at times. He's also very loving at times as well, yes. particularly for his uh, grandson. But uh, all the fathers are like that, no? Well, <laughs> I, I'm a father of three. And, ah, okay. Yeah, so <laughs> I don't maybe know. Maybe your children say that about you. You don't <laughs> oh, know. Christ, I hope not. But but maybe. But I mean, is is that is the, was it fun for you to explore this character of a bad father? Yes, because it's complex. You know, mm. I did not want to make a sentimental movie, and the father is not a sentimental man. You know, he said to his daughter, "No cry babies," mm. and uh, he's a, he's part of his generation who don't like to show their emotions. Mm. Uh, and. Uh, and of course, the character is not likable, but at the same time, sometimes he's very funny. And um, he was, he was when he was not sick, he was a very good friend, mm -hmm. he was someone very clever. Uh, he was charming for many people. I, I never met him. Okay. But Emmanuel said to me, I would have preferred to have him as a friend than as a father. Okay. Well, he was a bad father, but at the same time, he was very selfish. And you realize people who are very selfish, very mean, sometimes have a better life. You know, they survive mm. better than the others. If you see, for example, the case of the mother who is a victim, who, who is totally depressive. Yeah. And, uh, Andre is, was not depressive. He's just, uh, he just decided to die because he didn't have the life he loved to have. And uh, all the, the, the paradox of this story is is uh, the fact uh, he loves so much life that he wants to die. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I second what you're saying, not that you need me to tell you about your movie, but it is very funny. And you have this sense that at times, you know, all you can do when you're faced with the 
abyss of death is to laugh at it. And, yes. and, and he, he does that very well. And there's a great scene where he falls down <laughs> in the elevator shaft with his son-in-law yes. and he <laughs> starts making jokes about sex. So maybe I would have liked him as a father figure as well, you know? Uh, just the cast is, is brilliant in it. And I know you're one of these people who, who, who seems to get the people you want, but Charlotte Rampling uh, is, is tremendous in it without having to say very much. Is, is that maybe one of the appeals to you as an actress that she can sometimes say so much without saying anything? Yeah, she's a great actress. And I was so happy when she accepted to make the film because it was a small part. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it was important to have her in the film because uh, Emmanuel wrote with me uh, the character of uh, Under the Sun and the other character of Swimming Pool. Yes. So it was a way for Charlotte accepting this small part to pay a kind of tribute to Emmanuel. And what I like in the, in the way of, of acting uh, of Charlotte is the fact she, she's not afraid to be not likable, you know, mm -hmm. she's very honest and uh, she, she looks in front of the reality. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, some, there's some French actresses don't do the same things. <laughs> oh, interesting. <laughs> well, well, you could say that, but I couldn't possibly comment. Mm -hmm. uh, there was a, a, a great quote in it where Andre's character is the father's, you know, talking about the price of this euthanasia. Yes. And he says it's 10,000 euros. That's what yes. they're going to have to play in this Swiss clinic. And he's like, I guess poor people don't die. Mm. It's just a, a, a brilliant line. And pardon my, my translation of it mm. from French. But were you struck by this when you were making the movie that this is probably a middle class luxury? Yes, of course. But it's something which was not in the book because actually uh, they don't have, uh, the family of Emmanuel didn't have money problems. Okay. But making some research, I realized it was quite expensive to organize all that. Of course, it's out of law, but it costs some money too. So I wanted to, to, to use this fact in the film. And because the, the father has a lot of uh, black humor, mm. I, I thought it could be a great line in, mm. in his mouth. And... Um, and it's very unfair, actually. That's why I think we need a law to, to help people uh, to not to, if they don't have money, they have to, to have the same choice than, than uh, some other people or rich people. Just away from the movie, uh, I've not to make you feel feel old, but I've been watching your movies for the last twenty years, uh, and one I, I I particularly love is is Five by Two, yeah. uh, and just the way that you know I remember seeing it almost twenty years ago and kind of being <laughs> shocked the way. I suppose people could behave in a marriage. And yet as life has gone on, maybe it makes a bit more sense to me. What were you trying to do in that movie? Do you think were you, were you trying? It seems to me that maybe I don't remember. It's a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I wanted, uh, I think I wrote this script uh, after, after the end of, uh, of a love story. Mm -hmm. And uh, I wanted to, to reinvent and to try to understand why we split together. Yeah. So uh, I invent this story uh, starting uh, at the end to go to, to, to the start. And, 
And uh, I wanted to end the film with the start because what is important in the love story is the start, not the end. We know everything will end. So the end was just the start and the end uh, and the start of the of the love story was the end. What was, yeah. I'm not sure to be clear, but uh, people who saw the film will, will understand. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. And, and it's a great film. Just in terms of Swimming Pool that, that you mentioned and Emmanuel was involved in the mm-hmm. writing, did that, I don't know, as we say, did that turn your head? Did You know, because they wanted to, they remade that uh, in, in a different language. It, it, it was a big deal at the time. Did you, did that change your movie making for you? Did it change your life a bit, the success of that Absolutely film? Absolutely not. Absolutely no. not, because uh, I had many American propositions after the film, but all what they proposed me was to make some kind of remake of the film or the same kind of movie. And okay. as a director, I like to experiment, to change, and to, to have, like we have in France, the final cut. Yeah. And that's why I, I decide to stay in France and not to... To, to go in America. Okay. And it, I mean, so does that mean if they came along and offered you to make the next Spider-Man movie or something like that for <laughs> billions, is that's that's not in your future? No, because, you know, I, I want to be free and uh, I have so many stories to tell mm-hmm. and personal stories. So I, I'm not sure I would be good, you know, to... <laughs> To be on a blockbuster, I, I'm not the right person for this kind of movies. I, I can enjoy this kind of movie as a spectator, but as a filmmaker, I think it would be very boring for for me. Okay. And do you yourself, do you watch much television? Because, you know, we're hearing a lot about not not the death of cinema, but that cinema is changing a lot. And some people think yes. the best stuff on screen is actually happening on, you know, streaming services and things like that. Do you, yes. whatever about making television, but do you watch much TV? Um, I watch some series and uh, some of them, I like them. But uh, I think as a, as a filmmaker, I think it's possible to express so many things in two hours on one hour 30. And mm-hmm. very often I have the feeling uh, the is the series are another way of telling stories and they, they stretching the thread. Do you understand? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I love English series. I think there are some very good English series and uh, I think the English are very, are very good writers. Okay, okay. Of course, you're talking to an Irish man, so, you know. Oh, just, sorry. <laughs> I don't know Irish series. I should watch one. Give me one to watch. L- Love, Hate is a Love brilliant. Hate. People compare it to The Sopranos. Uh, ah, okay. It, it's amazing. But, of course, I'm sure you know some of our Irish film directors <laughs> like Jim Sheridan and, and people like ah, yes. that. Yeah. Yes. Listen, then finally, Francois, you know, you, you mentioned you've stayed in France uh, all your filmmaking life. It seems when when we look in from the outside, from Ireland or the UK or America, that French cinema has never lost itself. It, it, it stayed true. It's almost like it's a national cinema. And you've said you want to stay in France. I, I suppose I'm asking you are, you, are you proud of French cinema? It has such a long um, legacy and it doesn't seem to be compromised maybe as much as other film communities. Yes. I think because in France, we have still the idea that cinema is one art. 
Mm-hmm. Which is not the case in America. It's first one industry, and it can become an art, but it's not the, the first uh, qualification. And in France, uh, there is still um, this idea that cinema is a real art in which you can express very deep uh, things. And um, but uh, it's we have still to to struggle because things are changing with the platforms, mm-hmm. and uh, many cinemas are closing, like in other countries. So, sure. but people resist. I think people are cinephiles, and uh, and I think things will be uh, go on with the with school i think school is important and mm-hmm. we we need to learn cinema at school and and propose and explain what is cinema to to, to the students sure well by your work you the question are, of education actually absolutely well i was going to say by your work you are a teacher of cinema definitely and i would urge lots of young people to watch some of your fine work and everything went fine is no mm-hmm. exception to that great body of work and it was lovely to talk to you francois thank you Bye. The great Francois Ozon there talking to me about his new movie, Everything Went Fine. And of course, his career in general and Everything Went Fine is on selected release, I would say. It's in a few Irish cinemas. The more artsy ones, which is unfortunately always the case with, I suppose, French movies a lot of the time. But uh, it is a movie that everyone should see because it is a is it a deeply affecting movie. And it's also available to stream or download on Curzon home cinema. Up next, the much-delayed Mark Ryle on the week's new releases. Now you're welcome back to Screen Time News Talks TV and Movie Show. I'm John Fardy. We turn to the week's new releases, which are going to get the Mark Ryle treatment, as I like to call it. He was away last week. We won't get into all that. Everything's been resolved. He's fine. But he's going to be reviewing for us Spiderhead on Netflix, which lands this Friday. And also the movie we were talking about, Good Luck to You, Leo Grand, because he saw that as well. Mark, how are you? I'm good, John. How are you? Very well. The Netflix movie is released this Friday, isn't that right? It's this Friday. In fact, uh, now it could be Wednesday. It's definitely out on Friday. I'm not sure if it's... Well, whenever... whenever No, it is definitely Friday because I just checked. (laughs) Good man. You see that? He can chew gum and check as well. It's impressive. Now, here's the thing, right? The lovely people in Netflix, Nicola Watkins in particular, I want to shout out, who's a joy to deal with, sent me this, but I just didn't get a chance to watch it this week. But you did. So let's start with Spiderhead, which is, if I'm not mistaken, based on like a short story from somewhere it's based on a short story that appeared in the new yorker yeah i knew there was kind of a vaguely pretentious source material i'm sorry no no i just you know whenever people say i read it in the new yorker look you know wes anderson loves the new yorker but i'm just (laughs) always a bit like you know oh you read the new yorker do you (laughs) asshole but anyway (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I don't have a, I don't have a subscription to the New Yorker myself. Anyway, um, let's get down to it. it yeah. Spiderhead. I'm sorry, a, I let you down to it, but doesn't someone half read the story from the New Yorker in the movie? There is. I th- no. I think they're not reading the New York. God, you're getting very <laughs> detailed. I think it appeared uh, in a a collection of short stories, and somebody in the movie is reading the the book that the sh- short story appeared in. Okay, I'll let you review the movie. Can I, I'm sorry. Can I, can I get on with it? Please, I think you're better. 
Okay, um, so Spiderhead, it's a dark comedy, and it was written by uh, Rhett Reese and Paul Wernick, who also wrote Deadpool, and it is directed by Joseph Kaczynski, who's he's currently enjoying a career high with Top Gun Maverick. Um, now, Spiderhead, is, it's, it's the name of a remote prison and research facility that is run by Chris Hemsworth, who uses the prisoners as guinea pigs to test various experimental mood-altering drugs. And for the quiz- prisoners, it's quite a nice life because it's an open-door policy, and as long as they don't mind getting injected with experimental drugs every 10 minutes, I mean, they, they have quite an easy... It's, it's quite a cushy... Uh, it's better than actual prison okay and, uh, miles teller he's hemsworth's favorite lab rat and but he is he is he's got feelings for another inmate play, played by uh, journey smallest so that begins to, to cause problems okay okay so and this is a a prison but you know it, it doubles up as uh, you know a luxury camp of sorts because he's going to do various mind-altering tests on them which can go good or bad i guess it's a, it's a, I suppose it's a Scandinavian uh, interior design version of a prison. Um, yeah, yeah, and I, I mean, if you can, apart from all the uh, the, the experimental drugs, it's 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 great. And um, in the main, I think it's it's well executed. Okay, um, but it, it's a it's a high concept movie that's ended up. At, it's it's quite a small story, um, and I would describe it as being good enough. Um, okay. But it's very hard to dispel the notion that there was a more interesting movie somewhere in all of this waiting to get out. Um, as I say, it's a high concept movie, but from the looks of it, the two writers don't really know what to do with it or how to make the most out of it. And uh, tonally, it's also quite jarring because given the subject matter, it is actually quite funny in parts. And then like, it gets not funny and then it becomes funny again. So it's very, very inconsistent. Uh, Chris Hemsworth is, is a highlight. He's very good in the role. He's a very, very charming, very likable monster. And that's Mm. an interesting jumping off point for a character. Yeah. In the, bits i saw of it he looked kind of creepy yet charming at times that yeah it was it creepy was well and charming yeah, yeah exactly, exactly. Well, you can you can you know <laughs> and uh what about miles teller yeah he's he's fine he's 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 he's, he's as good as he needs to be okay. um yeah um it's it's definitely one of those movies that introduces something in a very obvious way that makes you say hmm i wonder is this going to be important later on like there's, there will be a big close-up shot of Hemsworth phone with a button on it that says "Open main door of prison." <laughs> and he, Chris Hemsworth's character—he's also the, the the drugs are administered in this sort of uh, medipack that's that's stuck to everybody's uh, the, the base of everyone's spine. But like he, his character is also wearing one of these medipacks, and you think. Mm, I think that might become important later on. And it's also been put in a really inaccessible spot, which seems impractical. But anyway, um, they, ultimately, there's nothing really surprising in all of this. And things play out almost exactly as you will expect them to play out. And okay. ob- obviously, artificially creating and manipulating people's emotions is not a venture that's going to end well. Mm-hmm. And and ultimately, it's, it's a movie that doesn't really have any great uh, epiphany to impart Okay. And so, I mean, the whole vibe, it reminds me slightly of, and we've seen these kind of movies before, like the Stanford experiment. experiment. Yeah, yeah. 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 So yeah. It, it's that happening. So we kind of know what's going to go on here. People are going to have their minds messed with and they will have the, you know, illusion of freedom maybe or something like that, but then it's all going to fall apart because why wouldn't it? 
Exactly. Yeah. No alarms okay. and no surprises here. In the main, though, it's fine. Uh, my, okay. All of my most of my negative criticism for this is would be really confined to the, the the final act because it falls at the final hurdle and the the ending it it descends into uh, a bad farce and it almost feels like it's been lifted from a different movie entirely and one with a completely different tone something like a, a screwball comedy it's it's bizarre but it's a shame because up to that it was it was quite good fun okay so a really bad final act uh, just head scratching <laughs> okay okay right yeah you really struggle with final acts don't you because it's a it's a regular and i'm not complaining but it's a regular, quite important <laughs> no no i agree with you but it's a regular criticism of yours is the movies we see every week there seems to be just a, a final act fatigue or something uh, just a lot of them aren't coming out the way you want them to but like i mean <laughs> i think it's quite important <laughs> no it if is you're write a movie i think it's 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 pretty important to have the ending figured out you and gotta know how to end it it's disappointing you know yeah, absolutely. So this definitely has a disappointing ending by the sound yeah, of things. Yeah, okay. sure does. So what are you going to say stars-wise for Spiderhead? Um, I think two and a half is a fair rating. Okay, okay. So that's that's kind of a thumbs halfway. That's Spiderhead, which is on Netflix from Friday, the 17th of June. And we know that because Mark Googled it while he was speaking to <laughs> I us. I didn't. It was, in, it was committed to memory. <laughs> okay, very good, very good. Well, he gave us the information regardless where he got it from. Let's take a clip of Spiderhead. So what do you think? Who are you asking? Yeah, I'm asking both of you. Let's start with Jeff. Nice. You like that word, but no, I mean, how attractive is she? What, Steve? Can't see for yourself? Heather, can you shut up, please? I'm asking Jeff. Jeff, how's she looking? Come on. Scale of one to ten. Um, yeah, she's a seven and a half. And Heather? She's all right. A five on a good day. Did you give her honesties? <laughs> no, I would have to ask. You know that. I'm just kind of a bitch. Oh. Well, then I'd like to change my vote to an eight. That's a clip of Spiderhead, now available for your streaming pleasure. Although Mark says it's not that pleasurable, giving it two and a half. It is on Netflix, I should say. Now, Mark, you also got to watch uh, Leo Grand, or good luck to you, Leo Grand. I spoke to the two leads, Emma Thompson and uh, Daryl McCormack in it, or the Irish Daryl McCormack, earlier in the show. But I, I want to get your take on it. I, I really enjoyed it. But what did you make of it? It's great. I mean, you've probably done a lot of the uh, the, the explanatory stuff already, but um, yeah, it's directed by Sophie Hyde and it has a great script by Katie Brand and um, Emma Thompson plays a widower called Nancy and Daryl McCormick is an escort called Leo, but neither of those are their real names. Um, so anyway, Leo, at the start, uh, Emma Thompson is waiting for uh, Leo to arrive in this bland, very modern hotel room and he's not what she was expecting. And although she's gone to the trouble of seeking him out and, and employing his services uh, with savings that she can't really afford to part with. She is a very, very reluctant customer. And he tries to get her to relax and, you know, tells her that he's there to fulfill her fantasy. And she says, well, I'm, I'm not sure you could class it as a fantasy. It's a bit mundane for that because basically Nancy has never had an or orgasm and Leo has to then crack 30 years worth of, I suppose, repression and, and shame. 
Indeed, indeed. That's a very good synopsis of it. So yeah, and as I say, we interviewed the main players. So people, if they've been listening to the Shire show, have a sense of what the movie's about. But you enjoyed it, right? It's, yeah, it is. It's really, really good. I mean, it's it's incredibly hard to avoid describing it as play-like mm. because it's it's literally two people in a room talking and that's it. I think 90% of it is confined to the hotel room. But it held me from the get-go. Yeah, um, yeah. And it's- it should be said they do mix it up. There are different, not to give a spoiler, but there are there are, it, there are mood changes and uh, scene changes within the same hotel room. You know, just in case you think this is a really dry piece. No, of- no, 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 no. God, I'm, I don't want to give that impression at all. It starts off as one thing and then it turns into something else. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's part sexual fulfillment and part therapy session, I suppose, is a is one way you could describe it. Um, so she has many, many hang-ups. And the first hang-up that uh, he needs to overcome is the age difference. And mm. um, I suppose, I think she's she's 60-something and he's probably in his 20s. Mm. Um, and at one point she makes a, a, a Rolf Harris reference and he doesn't know who that is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just as well as time would later tell. But anyway. <laughs> Obviously, yeah. Um, so yeah, the, like she has this, this uh, deep shame that she's associated with sex and pleasure and it's been ingrained through a lifetime of boredom and restraint and and yeah it's just it's it's kind of it's it's a it's a a really long conversation i think what's what's really fascinating is that we get to see almost the entirety of this relationship um and how it develops over the course of i think it's four sessions over mm-hmm. a period of, of i think weeks and at the beginning leo starts out as as obviously charming and very charismatic, but he's also like, you know, extremely confident and unshakable. And Nancy is the opposite. She has the, like a lifetime of, of deferring her own happiness and fulfillment, mm-hmm. you know, and then the, the, the balance of power shifts. And, um, I think she's got, uh, she's, she has this thing that there's something in common with Livia Coleman's character in the lost daughter, where she, she kind of goes against the, the, the this universally accepted assumption that parenthood is the greatest gift, and and you know, the it's a it's a privilege. She she really kind of goes against that that notion, and it's not something you see a lot of. I'm not saying that it's it's you know it's 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 right or it's a positive thing, but it's just it's it makes a refreshing change to what we're constantly presented with. Absolutely. And I thought what really worked in the movie, there were a couple of those things where the characters are revealed in interesting ways that you couldn't necessarily see coming. And they were re- reveal facets of themselves that aren't that obvious for something like this, where, you know, sex worker meets client. Like there's, there's, it went in surprising and interesting ways. And I think that's part of the reason why, you know, on paper, it could read very play-like, but it, it, it holds your interest, as you say, for the, for the length of whatever long it is an hour or nearly yeah. two hours uh, it's an hour of 40 i think i mean it's it's yeah it's gripping you know yeah. um and like you said the the kind of the the relationship changes and the the balance of power changes but the the tone changes as well it goes from uh light comedy uh, to moments of drama you know and i don't think those shifts would have worked quite as well as they do if it wasn't for the very obvious connection and chemistry between uh thompson and mccormack yeah, absolutely. And you know, we, we've said it before, but if you're going to have a movie that's essentially a two-hander, both actors have to be on the top of the game. And I, yeah. I think they both are, you know? Yeah, I think Daryl McCormick was was, a, was the real surprise for me in this. He was brilliant. He was brilliant. He was, yeah, yeah. So what would you say stars-wise for good luck to you, Leo Grand? I was t- holding it on between a four and a three and a half. I'm going to go with a three and a half. Ooh. Ooh. 
but it's it's nearly a four. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to give it the four because uh, I really enjoyed it. Uh, yeah, I think it deserves yeah. it. Yeah, okay. But yet you're not giving it. <laughs> <laughs> you're saying it deserves a four. I've given it one, but you've given it a three and a half. <laughs> I'm not sure how official any of these rankles, rankings actually are. <laughs> come, come. He's nearly said rankles there. That's Freudian. Okay, so that is four stars for me, but more importantly, three and a half for from Mark for Good Luck to You, Leo Grand, which is in cinemas on January release from this Friday, the 17th of June. Mark, thanks a million. Thanks, John. Our resident critic, Mark Royal, there reviewing Good Luck to You, Leo Grand, which he gave three and a half to, and also Spiderhead on Netflix, which he gave uh, two and a half to. So, an interesting week for Mark. It's always an interesting week with Mark, that's for sure. That's it for this week. My thanks to Anne-Marie Kane, who helped out on the show this week, as she does every week. Next week, very excited about this, I'm going to be chatting to Baz Luhrmann and the cast of the new Elvis movie. That's a great film. I've seen it. So, as I say, that's it for this week. Enjoy the rest of your weekend and the week ahead, and I'll talk to you next week.